it's entirely possible that maybe Jeremy says, I'm going to quit the call now. And then he quits the call. And actually what happened is his house was hit by a meteor. (laughs) (laughs) Possible. Not plausible. (laughs) Yeah. Friends and enemies, welcome to Bad Voltage Season 3, Episode 52, during which we will describe to you how the world has repeatedly kicked you in the head over (laughs) and over again over the last month. (laughs) It's like, we've we've got news, but there's only bad news. It is is really not a list of uplifting items i will no. say yeah I, I honestly thought to myself you know let's put some stuff in there which uplifts the human spirit and there just isn't anything man it's just constant right no, no, yeah. <laughs> and, and just when just when you feel like the universe is like just just pushing your head into the gravel then uh mr donald trump announces his presidency <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's running it's like for oh, fuck's sake okay. it's just right. yeah man fortune vomits on our eider downs once again <laughs> so yes i'm sure I'm language I'm- by the way that could be a show title mr language fortune vomits on our eider down although it's i missed one show and i think i'm entirely missed a full prime minister so it's going well on earth in general <laughs> just, i'm very carefully not bringing out the politics man it just oh yes. it's just the most depressing yeah. thing um so uh we've got a few things we'd like to talk about uh, i'm Stuart language i'm here with um jonathan edward james bacon and jeremy it's all rain today Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be the best one yet that, that might be yeah i think so um, yeah and uh, so we want to talk about some of the stuff that's been happening in tech over the last month or so. And then I would like to finish very briefly by talking about podcasts, if we can. Yes. <laughs> because very should, Let's make sure we do that. Yes. We, let's because make I, sure we do that. Because I think that'll be interesting. But first of all, Jono, uh, how would, how, which do you think we should start with? <laughs> What's it going to be, everyone? What's it going to be? Spin the wheel so of misfortune and see what comes so, It's a rough wheel. It, it turns out that the other space boss um, <laughs> has, uh, has decided to, uh, to purchase Twitter. So obviously everybody knows about this. Elon Musk has, has paid $44 billion for Twitter. This has been quite the journey because, you know, he originally expressed interest to purchase Twitter and then it turned into a, a legal fight. Um, and then the actual, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the transaction went through. And to say that the first couple of weeks of his stewardship of Twitter have been a bit rocky is an understatement, I think. Wild. Um, well, honestly, things do tend to get rocky if what you do is lock your team in a room and throw rocks at them, which is what he's been doing. <laughs> so just to summarize briefly, because there's been so much yeah, going on, and we don't, really we don't want to spend the, we don't want to spend the whole show on this, but I, basically. I meant to note the highlights as I was researching and like you, you can't even note them all. There's so many. I did a separate Google Doc, and it told me it was too large and wouldn't let yeah. me save it to Google Drive. <laughs> <laughs> so in a nutshell, he came in. One of the first things that he did was he slimmed the workforce down for, w- slimmed the workforce down significantly. Was it 3,500 people, I think? Uh, r- uh, roughly 50%. Yes. yes. About so from 7,000 to 3,500. Um, um, he's been talking a lot on Twitter. I, I have to say, I've been refreshing his tweets and replies feed endlessly just because it's just it's so fascinating watching this unfolding um and one of the key things that they're focusing on that they're talking about is um is validation one of the things that he expressed concerns (laughs) about which i think which i think is reasonable is that there's too many bots on twitter and that was one of the things that was standing in the way of the transaction so they're making twitter blue which is the most pointless service ever uh they're gonna they're making that eight bucks and then the verified badge thing the blue check mark thing will be available for everybody who uses twitter blue and that's the idea it's one of his approaches that he wants to use towards um towards reducing um bots and bad actors and things like that i i I was gonna say i have so many opinions and we're only on the second thing let's just summarize what's happened so one of the things as well that he did is he brought in um, a bunch of Tesla engineers um, to start looking at some of the code. And um, 
the the relationship with the employees of Twitter has been very very abrupt. Not only as uh, as Musk made it very clear that. Uh, you don't have a home at Twitter unless you're willing to work long hours and and and, and implement a bunch of these changes that he's talking about. But um, there's been other instances where um, people have been fired, and this has kind of leaked out onto Twitter. There was the uh, Musk posted about how uh, Twitter is slow in a number of different countries. Uh, the guy who runs the Android port said this there's reasons why that isn't so and he was fired and the uh, the guy who was originally running the trust and safety team i think he left i don't think he was fired because musk seemed to have a lot of respect for him but there's been all the, of this whole, kind of drama whole, going the on the whole accessibility team was but, laid off um, yeah and what the, but what has been interesting is that he posted and i believe that this was from an exter- from a third party source this wasn't internal to twitter the number of daily active users on twitter has been skyrocketing now we can get into whether what what causes that because whenever there's anything dramatic and interesting, it that always is disputed. By the way, from the person who runs the data science team at Twitter, yeah, right. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I I would not be surprised if the amount of users has actually gone up. I mean, everybody we, we we've had the same, you know. Oh, I'm you know the same people who are like I'm moving to Canada if this particular person gets elected. We've had that with Twitter. A bunch of people have been leaving Twitter, of course. No, no, um, no I mean, I, th- I think you're absolutely I, right. I, the number of I think it's very believable up- that a bunch of people who aren't Twitter users saw Twitter on the news and checked yeah. it out briefly, which would then count as a daily active user. Exactly. Yeah, I also believe yeah. many of the most active users probably yeah. leaving. Well, no, I mean, right. I, I think the number of daily active users has gone up dramatically on Mastodon, <laughs> but. Yeah, it's gone from 100 to 200. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> fucking Mastodon, come on. Anyway, I, feel I don't know like, how many times we'll learn that lesson, but... No, no. I, I feel I should point out here, um, from my perspective, that the 200 people there are the same 200 people who were on Twitter in 2009 when it was fun. So I'm cool Probably with that. Probably the same so 200 now- people that were on Identica, so I, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. Um I mean, yeah, and we, I mean that's a whole separate topic. But there is there is, is something to be said about a small group of people that's that you're, you you have a high level of connectivity with, like that you have a lot in common with, right? I, yeah, I it's mean, not all about numbers. No, and I, 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 I think that's the interesting thing but from Twitter's point of view. If the the shine goes off of it, then I can see it tipping over very quickly into basically irrelevance. So what do you guys think? What's your overall, I mean, we could, we could dig into each of these individual things, but what do you guys, why don't we start with you, Jeremy? What, what's your take on this? So, oh man, I have so many opinions here. So let's cover the, the Tesla engineers thing is easy. It, it's just a wild breach of fiduciary responsibility from the CEO of Tesla. So getting, getting them to not work on Tesla, which is what they're paid to do for a public company to work on Twitter so publicly is wild and definitely will result in a lawsuit. That's an easy one, not too controversial. So let's let's get over right. that one. The bots thing is interesting to me because he didn't do any due diligence, was very public about new, not doing due diligence, and yes. then tried to use bots as a way out of um, closing the transaction, w- which did not work. Uh, there's clearly some bots on Twitter, whether that's their biggest problem, I, I don't tend to think so. It is a problem uh, amongst many he problems definitely, that they have. His, his, I mean, maybe everyone's view of Twitter is different, right? Everyone it sees is. a different piece of it. His concern around bots is more significant than my experience of seeing bots. In so if you look at his account specifically, he's a very high profile individual who tweets yeah. a lot of interesting things. Sometimes yeah. about crypto, he's literally the most likely target for yeah. a bot on Twitter by yeah. orders yeah. and orders of magnitude. So yeah. it's not surprising that his view of the bot problem is substantial because Significant. he yep. is like the top oh 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 one percent of accounts likely to be targeted by. A bot. I I yeah. honestly think hundred and fifteen million. Followers. I, yeah, I honestly yeah. think the reason he thinks that Twitter is full of bots is the same reason that King Charles thinks the whole world smells like fresh paint. Because it does to him. <laughs> right, right. But, yes. it's, yeah, this, it's an interesting question about whether the bots thing impacts most Twitter users, which I don't know. I, I don't think so. And I don't think it necessarily impacts their revenue, which is what he should be caring about, which brings us to Twitter Blue, which is knowably what one revenue? of the dumbest things. <laughs> that. So the, the couple things about Twitter Blue are... I think a lot of people go to Twitter for news, and it could be a, a much different types of news, whether it's sports news or it doesn't even have to be news as traditionally news, more current yeah. event type things. Yes. And knowing who to trust 
or who is actually, not even about who to trust, who is actually who they say they are is an important thing if what you're looking for is, is information. And Twitter is a great source of information. So the people most likely to want to be uh, verified are not going to pay for it because they're the source of information. The most likely person to pay for it is either someone trolling or someone who isn't the source of information, right? So he's fundamentally not understanding the value of the verification process in the beginning. Hang and on, then I also, didn't understand that. Explain that again, Jeremy. I didn't understand what you meant by that. So if you are a large public figure who is looked yep. at as someone as a reliable source or interesting source, even reliable is a dangerous word these days, an yeah. interesting source of source. information yeah. Yes. Yeah. who wants to be followed. Why would you pay to post that information? You're adding value to Twitter by posting and being there, and then you're also going to pay to verify your own identity? That doesn't make sense on the you, face you of it. Are, when, when I was um, learning history at school, we learned about the difference between primary and secondary sources, right? Um, yeah. Something which, which is an original thing versus um, someone essentially reporting on or relaying that information. Yeah. 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 And yeah. secondary sources are massively incentivized to pay for this because what they want to do is pick up information from elsewhere and then have people read it from them. Primary sources don't need to prove who they are because they can just go, yeah, it's me. What they're concerned about is imitation. People fraudulently pretending to be them. And having people pay $8 things doesn't solve that. What solves that is a verification system, which Twitter already had. And they had to bring back five seconds right. after releasing Twitter Blue so, because so it, you need it. It diluted what verification was. <laughs> and the people who need it the most are the least likely to pay. But what's even worse, because he just says things sometimes, he added the and you will see 50% less ads. Yeah. If you charge $8... And then your most active actual users who are not posting but are consuming see half the ads. It turns out you lose more than eight dollars. Yeah, and and um, he also suggested. And again, this is one of the things where you've got no idea whether this is actually a, a real tech plan he's got. Or he's just spitballing just in public. But he suggested that people who've been verified, their replies would appear higher up and more importantly yeah, yeah. which means that you're not just paying for verification you're now paying for a boost right this is the thing that google didn't let you do paying for higher ranking in search results and he's yeah, it's very clear it, it, it's very clear isn't he that that there is going to be he essentially wants to build a twitter where uh, anyone who gets any real visibility is paying eight bucks a month. And what I think is interesting, what I think is fascinating about this, this thing is that I have, I have zero doubt, zero doubt that you will get less shit on Twitter from the people who are paying $8 a month. I have zero doubt about that. However, I can't think of many examples, if any, where a free service went, was switched over to a paid service and they retained anywhere near the same level of of, they would, of user. They would lose usage. the critical mass needed to be a useful product. If yeah, they, if and, and I totally a get full paywall. And, that, and it kind of gets that's back. The important it just, thing. That's, just one th one other thing. It, it kind of gets back to what you were saying at, uh, at earlier on, Ak, about Mastodon. Is that like if you got a small number of people, that's great. My concern about it is um, there's a direct correlation to money. And as we all know, like when you're a starving student, you don't have any money. Eight dollars a month is a lot of money for you. And, you know, if you're if you're living, you know, ramen pot noodle to ramen and pot noodle, you're not going to spend eight dollars a month. So to me, I like the idea of basically limiting the of, of prioritizing the visibility of content on Twitter. Like it will always be free, but where some kind of verification will 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 significantly impact visibility. But to me, there's got to be a means in which somebody who's poor can earn that and can demonstrate that without a pure dependency on $8 a month. Otherwise, I just think they'll massive, like, I think most people won't pay for it. So uh, to, to me, the concerning thing ought to be for Twitter, that it's not the most popular social network. It's not the place where no, everyone spends their time, but it's the place where a substantial proportion of People with influence, as distinct from influencers, <laughs> um, where people with influence spend their time, get their news, put their news yeah. out. Massive mindshare. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah mindshare is a good word for it. And if those people stop participating, the point of Twitter largely goes away. It does. 
You know, and, one of the things that I found I found interesting in thinking about this, um, this has been so interesting to watch, is I think you can actually draw a reasonable parallel between, and I'm not talking in a political way, between Donald Trump and Musk. Like one of the ma- main criticisms that people have towards Donald Trump who are conservative is they like his policies. They believe he understands normal people, but they just want him to fucking get off Twitter, right? That was always the criticism a lot of people would leverage. And what I find interesting about what Musk is doing, is I have no doubt that when he took over Twitter, that it was, I mean, it's been well known in in tech as being a horrendously mismanaged company that's yes. got way too many employees. Yes. Um, and they, like Twitter blew the day before he took it, took it over, I mean, all you really got to pay for was editing tweets. That was the only really meaningful thing that it offered. It, was, it was, wasn't a product that anybody wanted. They were struggling. It's a shitty advertising platform for anything beyond brand advertising. So there were all these problems. I have no doubt that he will slim it down. I think that he'll innovate Twitter much in, in, in interesting ways. I think he's a better technologist than the people who were running Twitter beforehand. But... His behavior uh, on Twitter. Just to finish yeah, off. Yeah, let yeah. me just finish off. But 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 <laughs> I would that. argue that. Hang on, let me finish. I think I think his behavior on Twitter and especially the way they've been dealing with their existing employees. It's just it it reminds. It's very Trumpian, right? Like, um, you know. I don't 100% buy into if you criticize him on Twitter, you get fired. I just don't believe that. But I do I mean, believe that... there's two that very the, specific examples of it happening yeah, in the but, last yeah, 24 but hours. We don't, know, we don't know that there was a direct correlation between them criticizing him on Twitter and them he, being He like, literally oh, responded must, in must the thread, you're fired. Followed up, you're fired. I know, I know, that I know, that, I know, I know but fired. we don't know the fact that, they, that he fired them because they criticized him on Twitter. They may have had horrendous performance at Twitter, and that's the reason why they were fired, but the they also criticized him on The guy that he responded, you're fired, led their Android team for the last six years. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily he made it through the high first performer. round of layout. 50% of the company got laid off and he didn't. Of course, but what I'm saying is we cannot categorically state that the reason why they were fired is because they I, criticized I, him. I don't, I don't understand why you're huh? prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt in that specific example. I'm not giving example. him the benefit of the doubt. What, <laughs> I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt. I don't know either way. I'm not no, saying I, they were or they weren't fired for, for, for criticizing him on Twitter. What I'm saying is we don't know. We just don't know. No, I we think don't we have know. that direct information. I, I think we, we don't. We do. well, you're making assumptions. That's not an assumption when a person with a fu- who owns the company responds in a tweet, you're fired, to a long... And the thing is, he said the thing about the RPC calls, which is cannot yeah. be true given how engineering software engineering works. Putting that aside for a second, I, was it Rich? I think his last name started with an F. Um, responded with a, a pretty detailed, here are some of the tech, technical debt that we have, and here's why we'd have to get rid of features. And it was a, a pretty uh, reasonable, in-depth technical response. But he also, people started sniping at him, and he sniped back at a couple people, and it ended with Musk saying, you're fired, and he's fired. There's no assumptions there. Yeah. No, didn't, uh, well, first if of all, I say didn't right he say, now, I'm going to end the Zoom call, and I end the call. Are you going to assume, then, like, yeah, oh, it could have just been that Zoom had an outage at that exact second. We can't assume that he actually ended the call. <laughs> yeah, it just I mean, happened to be, say, he said he was going to end the call, and then the call yeah, ended. I mean, like, it's, I, entire, it's entirely possible that maybe Jeremy says, I'm going to quit the call now, and then he quits the call, and actually what happened is his house was hit by a meteor. Yes, <laughs> that is, that is <laughs> possible. <laughs> not plausible. Yeah. <clears throat> no, but my, my, point, my point is, is, I, from what I remember, and I'm looking it up now to see if I can find it, um, that he said he's fired. He didn't say you're fired. Oh, he did say right. he's fired. You're correct. So, so we don't know categorically that that was the reason. I would agree that if he said you're fired, you can easily draw a connection between those so two. So the, 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 then, then the, the you're fired person was someone else. I don't know. I've because, not seen. No, no, a, no, I've no, not be, seen be, a your fire. No, no, but because there were two. Because I've definitely, I definitely saw Musk saying your fire to someone. I, I may have confused those two in my head then. Because um, if he said he's fired, then then it could be he was fired for another reason. That's my point, right? But my my, my irrespective of any of that, my point is my broader point is I think we all agree that the way he is behaving on Twitter is stupid, right? The way Musk is behaving on Twitter is stupid. So I have no doubt that he 
I have no doubt that he will build better technology than the engineering. I, I don't know what so the fuck I, the Twitter leadership team would do. Someone who actually wants to iterate on product is running Twitter. I don't know that I wish it was him, but it's very clear that they had a, a odd engineering culture that, what, like, yeah. they were known for having a rest invest culture. And given the, the number of products that they ship. I will tend to believe that. So I think it's yeah. reasonable to say they were too many people that worked there for what they did. I think it's I, reasonable to say they needed someone with better product vision and someone willing to execute on the engineering wanna, well, side. I, I, All I, of those I, things plausible. And that's why I wanted to push back a little bit. So I will absolutely buy that maybe he's a better manager of a technology company, maybe a better visionary, maybe a better CEO. No real comment or honestly opinion on that. I can see the point about someone with a product vision or someone wants to push that forward. But a technologist, I don't think so at all. So Twitter, all the fail well stuff a decade ago, but they're now at a point where their internal engineering uh, skills and robustness is amazing. People are going there from Intel and Google saying, we don't understand how you can make it this good, apparently. Um, that's not that's not what I'm talking about though. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree with you that they've uh, built the engine that they've built with Twitter is incredible. Yes. What they've not done, which is what I think a technologist should do, is they've not built a fucking stable, productive company. Right, sure. They've I'm, not I'm, built I'm, a set of products. They've not built a set of products that people are willing to pay for. Sure. And they they've have not built a sustainable consist- business, which doesn't yes, reflect the on their yes, internal yeah, engineering yeah, practices. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I don't think any of the problems are with their engineering. They're with product management essentially and maybe musk is a better product manager than the ones they've got there sure i'll buy that so so a nice way of characterizing this could be the existing twitter team prior to him coming in built stable effective code whether it's the right stable and effective code i don't believe it was i think that like just the just the just to me the the just the example of this is the edit tweet thing the fact that it took them this long to come up with a solution for something that users have wanted forever, it reminds me of GitHub um, uh, forever punting um, reactions on GitHub issues. Yeah. Like forever. It took uh, forever I think to do editing that. a tweet is one of those problems that seems easy in practice and is actually unbelievably difficult to get correct. Yeah, but on my multiple point is, axes, is I, technical and not technical, which those are the yeah. things that are hard to ship. But they, and the solution they came up with, which is you can edit it within thirty minutes of posting it. But also, to me, seems if, if your like problem a is they're solution. not building a viable business, adding an edit button not yeah. impacting their but bottom my, but line. But what I'm at saying all. is, Agreed. I would I would argue that the fact that they failed to serve a common user need, and I I, I totally agree with you've got to maintain the historical record. You don't want people editing tweets from two years ago and stuff like that. But to me, the fact that it took them so long, and then they felt like that's something that people should pay for is fucking stupid like i just don't think they've run a, an effective company for years and to your no, point they, Ak, they, they haven't no they, they have and, and to your point Ak, they they still they've continued to have this like such placement and mindshare in social media even though they don't have anywhere near as much users that, as anybody that's else the thing. Oh, they have an outsized impact on society which is scary yes. given the things yeah. that are happening yeah, now for sure yeah no, and I, think, I think he'll make a difference but the question yeah. is whether they'll be ultimately successful. And I, I get the fact that, you know, Silicon Valley especially, it's a little... Uh, this it's, is almost very turning squishy. into a Silicon Valley episode for what it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess, I get that he had to make some difficult decisions, but I just feel like there are, there are ways of handling these things and he just did it. It's just a, when he walked in with the sink and manner. tweeted, I'm in the Twitter headquarters, let that sink in. Y- you knew it, it was going to be a wild. I gotta say, I, mean, I thought that was hilarious, man. <laughs> I mean, it was. It- <laughs> it's, it's just you got to feel like you're the richest man in the world. You don't have to play up to a bunch of eighteen-year-old yahoos who think you're hilarious on Twitter, right? right. The, the, <laughs> the other thing I'm a little bit surprised at is how Pollyanna she's been about free speech, and and I was earlier in my life as well. Like I, I, I was never a free speech speech maximalist, but I was always quite pro free speech. And then you run yeah, a site yeah. as popular as LQ and you realize if you let people say whatever they want, you will magnify the most atrocious of voices to the point yeah. that no one else wants to be there except for the toxic people. Exactly, and that is a, yeah. a, a, yeah. just a fact of life that it was difficult for me to learn. I thought as an industry we had learned a long time ago. And he, he seems to now be learning as as advertisers leave, from what I can tell, in mass, that like you can't just his yeah. his viewpoint was so naive that I'm a little bit surprised because he doesn't seem naive in, in many other ways. I, you see, I mean, it, 
And I don't know whether I think this is actually justified, but I find it difficult to avoid thinking this, that he seems to feel like, in the same way that Trump does, that the rules don't really apply to him because he's just great. And maybe, yeah, maybe he's justified in thinking that. But saying, well, yeah, no, um, uh, we'll, we'll do this. And advertisers going, if you do that, we're going to bail. And the vibe seems to be a combination of, well, if you bail, we'll just do without you. And no, well, you won't actually, because you need to be here. It's this kind of rude awakening yeah. coming. And it feels like, I mean, I, I was only about half joking about the 18 year old Yahoo's thing, right? It's, you said he's like Trump and yeah, being radicalized by the shoutiest members of your own fan base <laughs> does well, seem uh, very similar one, for one, both of them. One of the reasons why I think the analogy with him and Trump is, um, works surprisingly well as well is that, um, to me, this is going to be difficult to explain. I think one of the reasons why, and obviously we don't want to get into politics and whatever, but I think one of the reasons why Trump um, became so popular with 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 that side of the political fence is because his supporters feel like he's willing to deal with the realities of what needs to be done in the world and not bow to political correctness and whatever else. And um, and then what happens is, and I think there is some fairness in that, right? I think Trump was willing to say things that other people weren't. But then what happens is he took it to such an extreme extent that now we're seeing him alienating a whole bunch of people. And I, I would apply the same thing to to Elon Musk, is that I bet you anything when he took over Twitter, um, and we've seen this in his response, I don't think anyone would deny that um, he absolutely did need to slim, slim down the workforce. He absolutely did need to rethink what Twitter Blue is going to be. He absolutely did need to rethink about the core thing that Twitter is offering. And I think that's reasonable. And and slimming down the workforce, anyone else would have couched this through PR departments and he just ripped the Band-Aid off. And I kind of respect him for that. Possibly breaking the law in multiple municipalities. Well, that's a separate question. <laughs> but then in a, in a very similar way to Trump, he's now taking it to the extreme where he's not just dealing with the uncomfortable realities of, 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 of shaking up Twitter more effectively – it's just been a prick about it in some ways. And um, yeah. and that, I think, is where the analogy kind of really ties up. I just wish he'd dial it back. Like, do the like do the necessary work, and that will mean making difficult decisions. But uh, you see, I don't get even, off Twitter. <laughs> I don't even think it's, it's about making difficult decisions. It would be about explicitly not doing that. Explicitly saying, okay, this, this is not the time to tear the band-aid off. This is time to, we've done a whole, let's fire half a team and, um, it's all about RPC calls, which it isn't, whatever. Now it's time to take some sensible, measured, long-term planning decisions. But if he says that, all the people who think he's cool stop thinking he's cool because his whole, I don't think he cares about that. The whole, if you want to work here, let us know by 10 p.m. East if you're hardcore or yeah. not. Like, no, I don't know if you think that's good that. and is going to stay, but I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Jeremy, because that to me is the per the perfect encapsulation of what he shouldn't be doing. Yeah, yeah. Right? what you want like is psychological <laughs> safety in an empathetic, driven, hyper intelligent leader, not whatever that is. Uh, and that, yeah. and that means that there's no, like you said, Jonathan, there's no reason why he had to do that. Sure, if he what if what he wants is people to work really hard, and that's the culture that he wants to inculcate in the firm that he now owns. I wouldn't agree with that, but he's entitled to. He owns the firm, whatever. But he yep. doesn't have to be a complete tool about how he presents it to them. And he did right. that anyway. And part of that is because I think if he went, okay, I want to do this, but I want to make it as soothing and reasonable for my team as possible and not basically look like the, the colossus bestriding all your conventional rules, then he'd stop being Elon Musk. You know, I, I actually, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't think that he is making any of these decisions based upon the optics of what his supporters or other people will think. This is my guess, and and I and this is where I would agree with him. Frankly, I think he looks at the culture of big businesses in Silicon Valley and thinks they're absurd. I think he looks at. Did, you know, there was all these TikTok videos that were going online with people who were talking about their day at at um, at 
Facebook and Twitter and whatever else, where they talk about, you know, these people, they get into work and there's a whole barista coffee bar there. And, you know, there's ping pong tables and there's yoga rooms and there's all of this stuff, right? And I get why big companies, we all know why big companies have been doing this because that's how you hire people, right? When Google started offering free lunches and dinners and haircuts years ago, it started this trend. Google are responsible for this as far as I'm concerned. They played a big part. Yeah, I think what he is doing is he's looking at all of that and being like, and, and this is where I agree with him, is like, all of this shit is completely getting in the way of building great stuff. Like, definitely create, like, I'm not saying you shouldn't have an empathetic, you know, psychologically safe environment. Of course, that's a requirement, but Sounds a ping little pong bit table. Like you're saying. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not. the same as, I don't want to get into politics, but, and then you get into politics. No, no I'm not saying that. I'm not if saying I had that a at all. For every time you did that, I could buy Twitter. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is you should have a psychologically safe, empathetic environment, but I think you can do that without having a coffee bar and ping pong tables and yoga rooms. And I, th- I think they've become the excesses of, of Silicon Valley. And we see this everywhere. We don't see this in hardly anywhere else in business in, in, in other parts of the world. Like, no, I'm guessing most companies- in other industries, what, like, it's clear that software engineering was an industry where the demand far, far outstripped the supply. So there was a competition for talent that was outrageous and not sustainable. Yeah. And it's clear we're, we're dealing with some of the ramifications of that now. But th- the way to, wind it down is not the way he's doing it. Like, hey, well, that's what I'm saying. Go away over time as margins are compressed and layoffs happen and other things that we're going through. Yes, they will. Organically, some of them will go away. Some of them will stay. The The reason P- Google started providing lunches wasn't just as a perk. It was so you didn't leave because in exactly. Mountain View, getting to lunch yeah. takes two hours. It's because they wanted you to stay on campus. So the $25 excellent lunch that they provided saved them a ton of money because of what the average salary is. So that one, that's good for the bottom line, not bad. And that's why I'm saying I, I, I agree with his, what I'm guessing is his view that all of these excesses are unnecessary to a, to a reasonable extent. Where I radically disagree with him, and especially with his behavior, is he isn't generating any psychological safety at Twitter at all. Quite the opposite. He's basically making out like, well, this is so important that um, if you want to work here, then you'll just fucking deal with it. What, what, and, I, what and- I think is interesting about that, though, is if everyone else – uh, if you're offered two jobs and one of them is working on the Twitter death march and the other <laughs> one is a place which has still got a ping pong table and you don't have to work a 165-hour week, where are you going to go? Like, what's the incentive for people to go and work there then? Uh, right. right. I think the incentive for some of the people saying is legitimately they've been building this thing that they know has an outsized impact and they don't want to see it go away. Yeah. And they are putting up with this because they don't want to see it go away. Attracting new talent is going to be outrageously difficult. Yeah. And realistically, some of this, at least, I think, is a, is the same reason that people say, well, why do footballers get paid so much money? Or um, baseball people, do they get paid a lot? I assume they do. They, they sure <laughs> do. <laughs> <laughs> don't, we, don't we know, how, don't we know how this works? Um, but, and you say, well, sure, you're getting paid, um, tens or hundreds of thousands of pounds a week, but equally all that money's roaring in. And where yeah. should it go? We should realistically go to the people who are doing all the work on the field, right? Sure. The person who's running the club gets some of that as well. That's part of what their investment is. But yeah. it's not like if they went, okay, well, we're going to cut back on things like really high tech salaries and perks for tech jobs that all the people running the stuff go, okay, well, we'll give a bunch of the money back too. Right. That's not going to happen, is it? Well, I, I think part of the challenge here, and this is a zoomed out view of all of this, is that um, I, I get the impression that Musk is surrounded with his inner circle and slightly outer circle with like um, people who are just obsessive about their careers. And they do spend their entire waking hours working on various like SpaceX and Tesla and whatever else. I don't think he really fully comprehends that the vast majority of people who work for companies, especially big companies, they want to go to work, they want to get a paycheck, and they want to feel like they made a difference, and they want to go home, and they want to live a life outside of work. And- Most people are like that. And and I completely get like wanting to have the very best, but at the end of the day, you cannot expect 1,500 people at Twitter, every single one of them, to be a a 
the kind of workaholic that will be running a, a startup. Like they will anyone all be who starts a startup, or else. Yeah, like it just doesn't. It just doesn't scale. Apart from anything, the rights and the wrongs of it. You know. But that is an interesting point. We, t- we talked about Twitter laying off um, uh, for half of their staff, and then we got there into talking about the state of the tech landscape as a whole, and we're seeing a lot of layoff. Amazon are considering laying off 10,000, Meta laid off 11,000. They already announced 11,000, yeah. Stripe laid off 14% of their workforce, which was 1,100 people. Um, I personally know a bunch of people who've been laid off from jobs. So this is not some theoretical meta layoff, 11,000 people, none of whom I ever, yeah, I've ever sure. heard of. This is actually affecting, you know, actual people I know. Is yep, this, yeah. and I'm interested in um, your opinions, is this the bubble bursting? Is this global recession and it's just happening to everybody and tech's just a necessary part of that? What? What do you think, Jeremy? I mean, I, I I think with interest rates at zero, as long as they were, a lot of money went to very questionable things. There definitely was multiple different minor bubbles. I don't think there was anything like the dot-com bubble or anything like the uh, financial crisis bubble in housing, but there's clearly uh, some unsustainable practices and the worst of those practices tended to be in tech. And now that there is a desire to actually be profitable, a lot of organizations who were not responsible are, are going to have to unwind a lot of that hiring. There, some You look at some of the number of employees for some of these companies, and it is wild how many company, how many uh, employees they have. And sometimes you look at how many working on specific projects that never made sense, and they were just irrational bets because people were chasing returns because fun... Okay. Money was too far. Far much, far too much money was far too cheap for far too long. That's um, so. What Stripe said was that basically that, that after COVID they scaled up too fast. They went. They looked at it. And went. Oh wow, we we could really do well here, and we need to you know start catching up. And they. It employed- turns out the new normal looks a lot more like the old normal than a lot yes. of people thought it would. Yeah. Yeah. So, so so they so they hired twice as many people as they should have done, but that's relatively short term. That's. Something, sure, the pandemic happened, which screwed up everyone's predictions and plans. And every graph of the last five years has this weird bit in the middle where nothing was right. And you you can't make any predictions at all. It's like trying to come up with a plan for what happened in the 30s or 40s without mentioning the war. For God's sake, it's ridiculous. (laughs) But but a lot of that stuff is very short-term. It's basically post-pandemic we hired 2,000 people and we should have hired 600. And now we're laying off the too many people we've hired. But is, yeah. is it, do you think it's just that? Is it essentially? No, I think tech will, I hesitate to say forever, but for the foreseeable future, tech companies will be smaller because they should have never been as large as they were. And it's like every, every industry has a golden era and this was the golden era. And right. the next era won't be bad. And a lot of cool tech will still happen. And like the difference between this, I think, and the dot com era is these companies are viable companies making money, many of them, some of them. So it's not going to be like an entire wipeout of an industry. But I think that it was just a, a lot of irrational yeah. exuberance, to use a term from the last right. one, um, that is just wasn't sustainable. And I think you're, you, a lot of things happened at once between inflation happening because of the pandemic at the worst time for this particular situation, potential energy crisis in the EU. Like a, a, There's a lot of things happening all at once that I think the next year's probably going to be I, I have a dimmer view on the next year i think than a lot of people do uh, you know maybe if we get a warm winter in the eu and inflation comes down more than i think it was it will be the best case scenario which still is not yeah. going to be great but if it's if inflation stays high and there's a terrible winter in the eu no i think we're it's going to be a painful 2023 which is i, not, I, not I also news. suspect as well that uh, i agree with you jeremy and i i suspect as well i think that definitely there was an element of like companies just grew too too big um, there was so much money flowing around, and but I have a suspicion that the if you take Meta for example, and this is I don't know anything internally about Meta. This is just a guess. Of those eleven thousand that got laid off, I would hazard a guess that the number of people that they actually needed to lay off was probably closer to eight thousand. And I think Meta? a lot of company they have twenty or thirty thousand more layoffs coming. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on. What I'm saying is, I think of the of the 11,000 that they publicly laid off, I'm guessing that the core amount that they actually wanted to lay off was close to 8,000. But I think they use this as an opportunity, like lots of companies, to quote unquote, clear out the deadwood. 
I think people are using the economy and this perspective of recession as an opportunity because getting rid of people, especially in California, is difficult. And I think um, a lot of people are saying, well, the reason why we're doing this is because of an economic downturn, but they're actually using it as an opportunity probably to get rid of a bunch of low performers as well. Will be my suspicion. Yep, I, I would buy that. So, so you know, who knows? We'll see what happens. But you know, fewer ping pong tables. <laughs> I gotta say, the first time I ever stepped into a we into a WeWork when I started consulting, uh, and this company was working at WeWork, and I, I went out to get a coffee, and there were people playing ping pong at one o'clock in the afternoon. I was like, I've literally never wanted to play ping pong during the day. I don't think I've ever <laughs> wanted to play ping pong at all, at all in the slightest. <laughs> so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that. Well, I mean, it it turns out, as I understand it, that um, if you need money in this uh, current economic downturn, you can just steal like a hundred billion kajillion dollars of crypto and then <laughs> vanish, right? Well, you so- are just the smooth segue <laughs> man of the year, yeah. <laughs> Do we, do we have enough time to talk about FTX? It's such a wild story. I, 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 I literally ought to be on one of them things with the two wheels that you can ride out on. But they were a segue, right? The RTX thing, the, re- the reason I'm bringing this up is because I don't understand... FTX. RTX is a graphics card. Oh, okay. We see. I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I, but I've tried to follow this and I just... I don't understand it at all. And I feel like a lot of people listening probably also don't understand it and what happens when that happens is you go jeremy explain to me in words of one syllable what the hell is going on it is beyond bonkers i don't know if we have enough time but i will try to give a brief overview because it is i think it'd be interesting to to chat about so we've obviously had a bunch of collapses of complicated cryptocurrencies over the last year or, or two, Luna stands out as one. But I, I, this one is, I think, less of that and more just good old-fashioned fraud. But to, to cover it briefly, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, who liked to go by SBF, was a, a, 30 time, a 30-year-old ex-quant who started a crypto hedge fund called Alameda and a crypto exchange called FTX. Uh, for those of you who are into finance as opposed to tech, you will know that this would, for most of the years of the United States' history, been illegal because of Glass-Steagall, which got repealed before. Um, before the financial crisis in, in 2008. Um, so that in itself is is currently legal. So what happened was the, the hedge fund portion, allegedly, and I don't know that I believe this anymore, made a ton of money early in Bitcoin using what was called the kimchi premium, which was basically in Korea and in Japan because of the vagaries of how the exchanges worked at the time. Bitcoin was worth like 15 grand there and 10 grand here. So you could, if you knew what you were doing, you could buy a bunch in the US and sell it and keep just regular financial arbitrage, nothing special. So that's how he's saying he banked, that's how he's saying he bankrolled Alameda, then started FTX because he wanted a, a, a better exchange. So the exchange is where you go to trade. His hedge fund was basically investing in in crypto companies. It turned out they weren't very good at investing in crypto companies and lost a substantial amount of money. Uh, (laughs) It's still being litigated. It's very early, but somewhere eight, 10, $12 billion seems like about what he lost on the hedge fund side. So when he he was also taking out short-term loans as one of his finance sources on the hedge fund side, which turns out if you're taking out short-term loans and then investing in long-term investments, you're probably going to have a bad time. When he had a bad time, what he did was look at the pool of money on the FTX side and say, that's a big pool of money. And he just started taking it out of the FTX side. Yeah. Now, how FTX was funded is also an interesting crypto thing. So let's say I create a billion tokens and I say, Ack, I'm bi- I, I have these tokens. They're great. You should buy some and you buy 10 for a dollar a piece. Yeah. And you're the only one that owns 10. Now, in theory, I have a billion dollar market cap. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what okay. that's called in crypto is the diluted market cap. What I really have is a market cap of $10 because the yeah. tradable coins <laughs> that you have is $10. Almost all of FTT, which this was the token that they had. So if you look at FTX's balance sheet, a ton of it was FTT. And it was that exact situation where they created a coin, sold a few, and then said they had that much money, which they, in fact, did not have. Yeah. So it is really just mostly <laughs> uh, uh, straight up fraud. Shenanigans. And then what, he got into an argument with CZ, who is start, runs the largest uh, exchange, which is called Binance. And they were like investing right. in each other. And that, that part, is, uh, we're going to learn some things about that specific relationship, I think. <laughs> um, but eventually... the. 
Binance called out that FTT looked like a scam. There was a bank run on the token. It turned out the money wasn't there. The token basically went to zero and FTX and Alameda imploded. Uh, They're both ostensibly in the Bahamas. So I think the CEO of Alameda is trying to get to, I forget if it's United Arab Emirates or Qatar, somewhere that doesn't have an extradition agreement. I think he's still in the Bahamas being questioned by by them. But like people will definitely go to prison here. I also see these trying to get funding where he would get $12 billion to cover this gap and, and what he would be offering for the $12 billion will be uh, wild to see. He texted Elon Musk about it to try to get $5 billion he did, that, I, that I saw, and Musk <laughs> called him out and said he didn't believe it. But the whole thing is filled with like weird detail after weird, weird detail. At one point, um, the co-founder, whose name I'm uh, Gary was his name. Uh, was he was actually from Google? Built a backdoor into their accounting software where they yeah. could just arbitrarily <laughs> change things. And then SBF said, "The only source of truth. Don't ignore what's actually on our balance sheet. This accounting software is the real source of truth." And they were just straight making things up. So, so I mean, so th- yeah, this is not particularly crypto based. It's just no it's straight just- up and down fraud. Yes, this is like Nick Leeson or something. So what's interesting to see is I think I've always been of the mindset that there will be an interesting application of blockchain. I think it's an an interesting technology. My guess is it's really only interesting in in some very specific cases, mostly financial people, traditional financial people, but also maybe some supply chain things. And like it will have its uses. Crypto has certainly been a a wild journey. (laughs) I, I can imagine. I can imagine if you're like a Web three fan and you have this v- vision of like a you know a decentralized crypto future, that these kinds of cases are infuriating because first of all, FTX is in no way decentralized. It's centralized, right? It's a centralized crypto exchange. Yeah. But every time something like this happens, it erodes trust in the idea of crypto and it erodes trust in the idea of of, of Web three. And I can imagine that pissing a bunch of people it's, off it's it's all i mean in this like, case like just because madoff was a ponzi scheme doesn't mean the entire stock exchange is so I, you don't want to right. correlate the two things what's been wild for me who is a fan of of finance and the history of finance and, and a, a lot of the uh, more technical details of the space what crypto seems to want to do is compress the last 140 years of learnings in the space into like <laughs> a decade yeah. They're just fast forwarding the entire history of the oh, yeah. mistakes of finance. It's like, it's, also, it's amazing this is why laws against stock market corners exist. I get it now. This yeah, is no, why you can't wild. do Brazilian straddles. I get it now. It's and I mean, I know this is harking back to something I said earlier, but it does feel like a lot of people are like, well, those are like the old money rules. They don't really apply to us because we're doing something new and exciting with a yeah. different currency, right? And you're yeah. like, yeah, yeah. no, man, that's not what it is at all. One thing I would like to have a, a longer conversation about, yeah. which we definitely not, don't have not, time not, not, for not today, today <laughs> but- <laughs> um, is um, I actually tweeted out about this yesterday that um, it seems to me that um, the, uh, the vision of Web3 um, and decentralization, which I think we probably all agree is would be a good thing, um, especially given the amount of control a small number of companies have in tech. Um, I mean, that, well, maybe maybe we don't maybe 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 we don't all agree on that. But that's all right. So that's this is a longer. So that is point one of the discussion. But the fact that we keep ending up generally with these centralized exchanges suggests to me that there is um the analogy i would have here is the difference between free software and open source like free free software has got this big ideological view um and it seems like the the ultimate web3 decentralized world is largely ideological in nature but the reality of the world that we live in is resulting in these centralized exchanges which is where people are are are, are, are interacting and i just think there's an interesting discussion there around could the pure vision of web3 actually happen in the reality of the world that we live in where the people who build technology and services are usually big companies and they want to own what they're doing they don't necessarily want to decentralize everything i just think there's an interesting discussion there that we should have i mean mate yes it is an interesting discussion maybe we should talk about that on the next show we should talk because yeah. i don't know fucking anything about this stuff and jeremy knows way more about it and Nak, you're somewhere in between the two of us like 
it'd be interesting to dig into that. Uh, there is a still a very early minted, incorrectly spelled bad voltage NFT out there for those of you interested. <laughs> wow, don't hear as much about NFTs anymore, do you? Crikey. No, um, you do right, not. so very briefly. But because- I heard people say they're the future on Clubhouse. <laughs> Uh, so, so we, we, we have to get going, but there are two very brief things I wanted to, um, I mentioned before we go. So the, so they're both about podcasting. One of them is that this podcast is edited by Marius Qualbeck at NerdZoom Media. Who is amazing. Yes. Which is NerdZoom.media and he's great. And if you want stuff done for your podcast, go talk to him. Yeah. He <laughs> does video as well, people. He's very very good he's done a, he's done a bunch of work for you isn't he john i think yeah yeah which yeah, is really yeah. Cool. he's he's yeah. absolutely fantastic yeah yes but and then the second thing is because we were talking about you know podcasts we listen to and how long they should be and so on and it's interesting because a lot of podcasts are less than half an hour and i don't know should we be doing um uh, you're gonna get yeah. a bunch of people being like what you should be is shorter and punchier by which we mean less rambling <laughs> we can't do that and the other people, half of the people like well, yeah but if, if i wanted that i'll just read the register right the whole point is that yeah. we that well we like to think of it as discussion around the topic yeah so there's already quite a bit of discussion about this going on in the bad voltage slack i was a little surprised to see that most people prefer the longer episodes yeah yeah, um, but we are interested in your thoughts. So um, send us yeah. uh, send a message on uh, Twitter if you get a chance before it goes away, or there's the back voltage <laughs> bad voltage snack or Mastodon community dot org or um, yeah maybe um, we have we haven't got a Mastodon account, but I've got one if you want to no, send something. We could also add that to the list of things to talk about next episode because yeah, I, actually I have, no, I, th- I have I, opinions there too. No, I think yeah. that would be interesting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that would be interesting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put some notes in the show. Put notes. it in the show notes. I'm gonna write. Jeez. Oh, I'm gonna write. Right. Maybe we we'll in the show notes. Who would have? With thought? this new level of uh, professionalism, maybe we could not ramble. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> writing put, things into show notes. So I've, re- I've written down Mastodon, and then I've written Web three equals scam, and then we can talk about <laughs> both of those in the next thing. <laughs> And how long we uh, will talk about it, we will leave up to you, listener. So go to yeah. that Voltage Slack and, and let and us you're know. You're not allowed to say zero minutes, okay? <laughs> That's not nice. <laughs> but yes, um, do, right. do let us know. Um, we got to get going. Um, but hooray. Thank you for yeah. listening. And we'll see you in the next one. Peace out, everyone. See you in the next one. I know we've gone way over here. I do have one more aspect, though, that I wanted oh, to discuss. Okay. I, I oh, okay. Do about you have to one, segue. too? Because you were... No, 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 no. I was about to segue since we were talking about bigger picture and layoffs and so on. But no, no, talk about... Oh, no, yeah, <laughs> segue that. We can cover this That would have been quite a nice segue until Jerry fucked it up. Yeah, no, no, segue. Segue away because we are coming close on time.